Hello and welcome back to the podcast. I post episodes weekly on Tuesdays on pretty much whatever I like. So welcome. Follow me on Instagram and on Twitter at a Ugandan babe, all one word. So the wheel of time. I am obsessed, obsessed. And yet strangely enough, I started off very, very skeptical. It had been touted as the new Game of Thrones. So maybe I went in with very high expectations. I think each episode is like 45 minutes or an hour long. It's not a short episode. And in the early parts, I was not feeling it at all. I was like, ah, you guys are trying too hard. We've seen this before. We've seen these epic stories, Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones, whatever. I wasn't feeling it. It was giving pound shop, dollar store budget game of thrones <laughs> complete with references to the dark one <laughs> but i have fallen in love with this show i haven't read the books on which it is based by american author robert jordan i didn't even know of their existence until i landed on this show on amazon i didn't read the blab i didn't know what to expect which is i think a good thing because i found that in every episode i was just being surprised which I don't know. I I don't want to sound like I don't say that doesn't happen often <laughs> because I don't want to pretend that I'm some kafulu and I always know what's going to happen. But I do watch a lot of TV, so I tend to get an inkling about what might happen. I've developed a bit of a sixth sense, <laughs> but in this case, I was just like, hey, <laughs> hey, <laughs> hey. My expectations were being subverted left, right, and center which is part of why I enjoyed it so much. So I started out very skeptical, but by the end of episode one, I was fully ensconced in the box. Briefly, it is a, it's a little bit predictable in that it's that old time story about ordinary young people going on a journey to discover their courage, face their demons, and hopefully save the world from an uncertain fate. Isn't that every epic story? But that's part of the charm of fantasy, right? This is that story, I'm guessing. Even though I don't know anything about the books, I hadn't read the blab, whatever. So the blab says, The Wheel of Time follows Moraine, a member of the Aes Sedai, a powerful organization of women who can channel the one power. With her warder, Lan, she seeks a group of five young villagers from the secluded two rivers, believing one of them is the reincarnation of the dragon, an extremely powerful channeler who once broke the world. The dragon reborn is prophesied to either save the world from a primordial evil known as the Dark One or break it once more. So, what did I love about the Wheel of Time? Now, when the story begins, we meet the quote-unquote, well, we meet a quote-unquote dragon, which I was like, hey, already? (laughs) Now, this guy eventually turns out to be a fraud. But my initial impressions were that he had come in too early, right at the start of episode one. And I was like, ah, it's a little bit on the nose. They haven't done any build-up. They've just thrown this guy into the mix. But anyway, it doesn't matter. It's okay because it turns out, he turns out not to be the dragon prophesied. But he's a fairly powerful man who can do magic or channel as they call it. Men are generally not permitted or encouraged to do magic in this world because it tends to turn dark with them or something like that. 
but he's the guy that turns up and is doing all this magic and seems to have a lot of the characteristics of the dragon masses are following and wages war against the white tower which i'll explain he's eventually defeated i remember i just thought ah, you've really wasted our time <laughs> but it's fine because it was part of the story building i like who they cast as this fake dragon logan abla for the time he was on screen he was interesting enough the second thing is that the dragon reborn isn't immediately cast as a force for good it could go either way, according to the prophecy. <laughs> he could go the way of the old dragon and wreak havoc. So we have this ambiguity about the moral character of the dragon reborn, which sets it apart from authors like Tolkien. Because with J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, there was a bit of a demarcation. Things are black or white. You are either good or evil. The elves and the dwarves are mostly good. The men also mostly good. And then the orcs and the urukai are definitely bad. The good guys had devil demons that they were fighting. But usually you kind of knew where they would end up. Not so with the dragon reborn. You, you do have this hope and expectation once you get to know the characters. But there are really no guarantees. So that's a point of mystery and intrigue that adds to the tension of the show which is amazing. We have five main characters who are candidates for the position of the Dragon Reborn and they are from an area called the Two Rivers. Nynaeve, a wisdom which I can't really explain but it's like a magical healer. Then we have Egwene, a young woman, Rand, her boyfriend, Perrin and Matt. Egwene, Rand, Perrin and Matt are about the same age, have grown up together and are best mates. Nynaeve is slightly older and like a big sister though she's not related by blood to any of them but she looks out for them. So that's how season one begins. And the idea is that one of these five is the dragon reborn meant to save the world from evil or, you know, cast it into chaos. <laughs> I love the complexity of the characters. There are some archetypes. So for example, Rand is white, he's pretty. He seems to have been cast in like an obvious good guy savior role. So for that reason, I wasn't that taken with him to begin with just because it was a bit stereotypical, a bit predictable. But the other four, not so much. Matt is potentially predictable in that he's the wild card. He's not the quote-unquote good guy. He's not a nice guy, but he might be a good guy. Because when we first see him, he's very protective of and adores his baby sisters. But he's a gambler, a drunkard, he's broke and seems lazy. You're just never sure what he might do, though he seems like a good friend. Egwene is cast as a loyal, brave, steadfast kind of girl, and Perrin is the good-natured friend. But none of them are really all that obvious in that way, right? Everyone, with the exception of maybe Rand, is a bit of a dark horse. Nynaeve, if you remember, is, is a kind of the big sister to the four who might be chosen. She is definitely a dark horse, but it doesn't come out immediately. Her character is prominent, but in the beginning, you don't really get the idea that she's going to play such a big role. And then partway through, everything flips on its side and she turns out to be someone quite important, which I loved. Rand also turns out to have an interesting backstory because they all come from a place called the Two Rivers. But as it turns out, that's actually not where Rand's people are from. He was raised by a man who is not his biological father in the Two Rivers. His real parents are actually part of a people called the Aiel, who are warriors. They are badass. And one of the best scenes, uh, it's at the beginning of episode 7, I believe. 
is his mother while she is literally giving birth like in the middle of labor but fighting off a bunch of soldiers and man that scene was absolute quality perrin's backstory is also interesting at the start of the season he seems to be happily married but then tragically he accidentally kills his wife and we learn that he has been secretly in love with Egwene. And so we basically have a love triangle between Egwene, her boyfriend Rand, and then Perrin. But Egwene is committed to Rand, so we'll see how that all plays out. Perrin is having a bit of a rough, rough time at the moment, or so far in season one. But I like that I don't quite know what he's going to do now with a love triangle in the mix. He seems like a good guy, but we don't know how he'll turn out. He's not that predictable. With Matt, I feel like I was sold a bit of a story. Like I said, I think he's a good guy because he takes such good care of his little sisters. But he's also a dark horse because he has a darkness in him. He has some Bupasolo demons that he is fighting. So it's hard to tell which side he'll choose in the end. But it's looking hella shaky. <laughs> so I like the initial five potential dragons, right? Nynaeve, Rand, Egwene, Perrin, and Matt. Though I thought Rand was just going to be like this pretty boy who complains about everything but gets things handed to him. The thing that won me over is his relationship with with Egwene. He loves her so much. It's beautiful to see. I like that Egwene hasn't been cast as that typical, quote-unquote, classically beautiful damsel in distress. She's Australian Aborigine. She has a mole. She has a quote-unquote biggish nose. She's a little bit thin, a little bit scrawny. I mean, she looks great, but she's not that, you know, stereotypical, beautiful, by Western standards woman. And I love the acting that she's doing. So I love her and Rand together. Then the world building is also fantastic. Clearly, a lot of money was invested. So the costume, the set are all very high quality. The production values are through the roof. It all looks very expensive, which makes sense because apparently Amazon spent like a hundred million dollars on it, which clearly shows through. Part of the world building that I loved is this idea of the Aes Sedai, a group of women who possess magic or channel as they call it and they're kind of the elites of this world it seems like is what i want to say they have authority and commoners defer to them and they're all women as i said men are forbidden from channeling in this world because it turns them to the dark side so you have just women taking on this role as leaders which is interesting then the Aes Sedai's main seat is in the White Tower, which was an extremely beautiful set. They clearly invested cash, cash money. I love their fashions. So the Aes Sedai are segregated into different colors, right? For example, Moraine Sedai is a blue and they seem to be spies. It's because she spends a lot of time outside of the tower gathering information about the Dark One and his rise. The yellows, I believe, are healers. The reds might be warriors. And then you have lots of others, greens, greys, whites. I like that whole thing they have going on with the demarcations. It, it's kind of a common trope and cliche in fantasy. So think Hunger Games, Game of Thrones, Harry Potter. They all have houses, right? I think it's part of how we try to make sense of the world as humans, right? By grouping people together. Hence tribes, nations, all that good stuff. It's relatable and interesting. I like it. I love Moraine Sedai, played by Rosamund Pike. Ah! 
Professor Van Pike is an absolute babe. She did an amazing job. I think she elevates the whole series just by the quality of her acting, her depth of character that's really en- enjoyable to watch. Then you have Lan Mandragon, who is the warder to Moraine Sedai, which basically means that he's bound to her and he protects her. At first, I didn't really like him. Um, he's an Asian guy, and I felt like he'd been typecast a bit. You know that mysterious Asian warrior. But he grew on me because his acting was great. The scene that stood out to me was when one of his brothers, a warder, was killed. And they have this mourning scene um, before they bury him where he cries and beats his chest. And it was really deeply moving. Then you have the white cloaks. <laughs> they introduce one of the early villains, uh, Imon Valda, played by Abdul Salis. He's a black man who executed his role really, really well. He kind of recalls Ramsay from Game of Thrones in that he is vicious, unpredictable, evil, cruel, but not in that local, you know, that local cackling and rubbing his palms kind of way. No, he's not, not like that. He kept me on the edge of my seat because I was wondering, Panange, what is this guy going to do next? <laughs> he really stressed me out. He's sharp-eyed, sharp-tongued, and he appears reasonable, but is ruthless. So in that way, he's a really compelling villain. He, de- he doesn't last long, but for the time you have him on screen, he will make you feel things, mostly trepidation. <laughs> And I always love when they bring a villain to life, right? Not as a caricature where you're thinking, ah, okay, this guy is obviously the bad guy. The other part that I liked is that there were so many surprises that they just threw at us each episode. But the one thing that I absolutely didn't see coming was the romance between Moraine Sedai and the Ameline seat. Now, the Ameline seat is like the head honcho of the Aes Sedai we get a little bit of her backstory in that she grew up poor with her father. I think her mother had passed away. She was quite close to her father, but eventually her father had to leave her and give her over to the White Tower because she could channel. And that's what they call being able to do magic. And I think it was dangerous for her to just be out and about in the world. So while she was still quite young, around 12 or 13, her father gave her over to the White Tower and, you know, eventually she rises through the ranks to become top dog or the Ameline seat. Now, when they first introduced her, it's with all this pomp and circumstance and a big reveal. And she gets into a public and very heated disagreement with Maureen Sedai. And they're going back and forth. But after that scene it turns out that actually her and Moraine are lovers and best buds, which you never really see coming. Now, initially, I wasn't that taken with the Ameline seat. Um, I think it's because she's a a mixed-race woman. I think she's mixed with black. And at that point, I was thinking, you could have gone with a dark-skinned black woman. You You could have gone with a monoracial black woman. Hollywood will not be destroyed by a freak storm if you cast a dark-skinned black woman. And I'm not just saying that out of nothing, because the fact is, when it comes to diversity, the show actually did really, really well. But up to this point, we had already seen lots of mixed race people, and I'm talking about light-skinned mixed race, including Nynaeve, The Wisdom, Perrin, one of the Chosen, Aram, Kareen Sedai, Telamon, the dragon who broke the world, are all mixed race, light-skinned so Pad and Fane, the snake, um, Imon Falda, the white cloak, and Ivan, the warder, I think they're the only dark-skinned black people we have seen so far, and they're all men, right? So I thought, if you're going to 
go with a black woman you can cast a dark-skinned or monoracial black woman it's okay but she did do an amazing job at least in season one so far her acting was on point her chemistry with Moraine Sedai was believable and she gave she gave what she was supposed to give so I liked her my one criticism of the show is that there was no sense of scale at all you remember how with Game of Thrones the opening credits showed you visuals of a kind of map of where everything was right um same with Lord of the Rings that was really useful and would help you like understand the vast distances between places where key locations were relative to each other but my friend with the wheel of time <laughs> scale don't know her distance that sounds like a you problem where the hell are we <laughs> big lol <laughs> that's between you and your personal god <laughs> it was a little bit disorienting but other than that cannot wait for season two as always thanks for listening give us a like and subscribe to the channel if you enjoyed this episode and follow me on twitter and on instagram at a ugandan babe or one word or eskentaro e-s-k-e-n-t-a-r-o to continue the conversation i hope you'll be back for the next one goodbye for now